Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word comes from, yet everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Everything from mountaintop beauty and deep forest to meth heads and extreme prejudice. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet to the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed downright unbelievable and tormenting historical atrocities. They have lived through everything from hauntings to cryptic creatures that show up and wreak havoc on their homesteads. The worst creature, though, may be man himself. I, being born and raised in these Appalachian Mountains, know that nothing is beyond a pale of belief, no matter how fantastic it sounds. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has a long legacy of unending tales and adventures. Come with me as I take you on a fantastic journey through these mountains, where things are not always as they seem. I guarantee you it won't be anything like you expected. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Season 2 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. How you doing, my good friends? Thank you again for stopping by. I'll keep this one short as not to infringe too much on your holiday weekend. We're all familiar with the legendary heroes who fought to secure our independence from the British. George Washington, Ben Franklin, Paul Revere and his Midnight Ride, but there are other influencers of the Revolutionary War whose names don't immediately come to mind when reflecting on the birth of this great nation. Their efforts and contributions are no less significant or important to securing the freedoms we enjoy today. The heroics of their lives and stories remain unsung in a lot of cases. Like many of those serving their country in the shadows today, Come on in, take your shoes off, set a spell, and let me tell you about somebody crucial to the founding of our nation that I bet you never heard of. In celebration of the anniversary of the American Independence, which is July 4th, we are shining a spotlight this week on a one such hero we just spoke about, a man who risked his life not to save George Washington not one time but twice. A man who helped convert Alexander Hamilton from a Tory to a patriot. Now we all know what a Tory was, that was the one who uh, supported the British crown and wanted to stay a colony of Britain. But a man who successfully ran his own business and used that business to live among the British, befriending them and covertly acquiring information while overtly tarnishing his reputation with the Patriots. Yeah, that's right, I'm talking about Hercules Mulligan. Hercules was born in Ireland in 1740. He and his family migrated to New York when he was about six years old. In 1774, he opened a clothing emporium, catering to the creme de la creme of New York City. Nothing but the best here, folks. But it just so happened that... He also catered to wealthy British businessmen and high-ranking British military officers. He employed several tailors, but preferred to greet his customers himself, taking the customary measurements and building a rapport with all of his customers. 
And wouldn't you know it, his business took right off and thrived, and he established a solid reputation with the gentlemen of the upper crust of the British officers, too. It was his association with these circles that made it acceptable for him to marry a niece of the Admiral Sanders of the Royal Navy. Hercules, though, didn't have an allegiance toward the British, and that was despite his wife's lineage or the demographics of his customers. In fact, he was a member of the Sons of Liberty, a secret society created to protect the rights of the colonists. He was also a member of the New York Committees of Correspondence and Observation, a group opposing the British, and through written, you know, communications, they would post ads in papers and just write pamphlets and spread them out. But Hercules' patriotic tendencies were established a good 10 years before the start of the Revolutionary War, and he didn't see any good reason to quit now. In 1773, Hercules opened his doors to a young student named Alexander Hamilton, who was in New York to complete his studies. The two had been introduced by Hercules' older brother, Hugh. Young Mr. Hamilton took up, boarded with the Hercules while attending King's College, which is now known as Columbia University. It was during his time that Hercules, along with several others, had a profound impact on Mr. Hamilton. Originally, Mr. Hamilton supported British rule over the colonies. He then developed uh, his pro-patriot views from a variety of sources, among them New Jersey Governor William Livingston, who just happened to be one of the signers of the U.S. Constitution and with whom he'd lived in New Jersey before attending King's College. Alexander Hamilton had moved in with Hercules in New York, and they had many late-night discussions, further influencing young Mr. Hamilton's views. Alexander got so worked up over it that he soon joined the Sons of Liberty, and at age 18, he wrote a persuasive essay defending the case for independence. His letter was one of the many essays instrumental in hastening the revolution, especially in New York, which was considered at the time to be the future location of the capital of our new country and was certainly being used that way already. The Revolutionary War began in April of 1775. After George Washington's troops were defeated at Long Island, Hercules tried to leave New York. He was stopped the next day by a party of Tory militiamen who captured him and dragged him back to the city, telling him that he wasn't going anywhere but to the gallows if he didn't straighten up. He reluctantly went back to outfitting the British officers, I guess, to make them think that he'd straightened up. When General Washington mentioned to Alexander Hamilton, who was now General Washington's aide-de-camp, that he was looking for a spy on the inside within New York City, Mr. Hamilton never hesitated as he recommended his old friend, Hercules Mulligan. Hercules, of course, jumped all over that and quickly agreed to become the general's very own 007. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, Hercules went right on about the business of providing services for British officers, collecting their measurements and any secrets he could pick up along the way. He even went so far as to play to the officers' vanities, working up their egos on to, to the point where they'd let spell about anything they knew to him. He really must have made them feel, think that he'd straightened up, I guess, by this point, hadn't he? 
Whenever British officers requested repairs to the uniforms, he would ask the dates that they needed them back. When a few of them come in with the same date, he would be able to figure out that, uh, well, that's the day that they're going to do something. He would then dispatch his friend Cato to General Washington's headquarters in New Jersey to spill the information on the redeployment of a particular unit. Late one evening, an excited and flustered British officer called on Hercules to provide him with a coat. Hercules complied, but asked the, why about the late hour? What was going on? And uh, being all stuff-shirted and overconfident, the officer all too eagerly told him that he was leaving on a mission to go capture General Washington within the day. After hurrying the officer from his store, Hercules immediately dispatched Cato to alert General Washington of his impending capture. The British had learned the location of where General Washington would be meeting with his troops and had planned to ambush him. Thanks to the acquisition of this information, George Washington wasn't captured the following day. Two years later, Hercules was still at it when he was again afforded the opportunity to save the life of General George Washington. In February of 1781, British General Sir Henry Clinton learned of General Washington's plan to travel to Rhode Island by riding up the Connecticut shoreline. He ordered 300 troops on the transport boats to intercept the general. And who was responsible for loading up these boats with provisions for the journey? Uh, none other than Hugh, Hercules' older brother, who apparently had the British thinking that he'd straightened up too. Hugh promptly advised Hercules of the plan, and Hercules once again dispatched Cato and General Washington, who immediately rerouted his course and arrived safely in New England. Hercules and Cato didn't survive their war unscathed, though. Cato was once captured and beaten on the return trip to New York after passing intelligence to General Washington's headquarters. Hercules was suspected by the British on several occasions and even spent time in jail before using his what they called an Irish charm to slip his way back into his tailor shop and resume his operation. The greatest danger came to the pair following the end of the war in 1783. Hercules had appeared to be, well, just a little bit too close to the British officers despite his true intentions, and he feared tarring and feathering on some other act of revenge, maybe. Anybody who supported the British was, well, they pretty much wasn't thought much of in New York City at the time. General Washington, however, hadn't forgotten his spy. He paid a visit to Hercules' house after attending an evacuation day parade in New York. Evacuation day is a celebration of the day of the first victory against the British by General Washington when the British were forced from Boston in 1776. General Washington had breakfast with Hercules and then went shopping in his store, alleviating any doubts as to which side Hercules Mulligan had been on during the war. After becoming president, George Washington continued to update his wardrobe from the Irish tailor. Hercules took advantage of this unique public relations opportunity and changed the sign outside his shop to say, Clothier of General Washington. Hercules' business remained a success for years to come. He and Alexander Hamilton became two of the 19 founding members of the New York Manumission Society, an early American organization found to promote the abolition of slavery. He retired when he was 80 years old and died five years later. 
Hercules is buried in New York's Trinity Church next to his friend Alexander Hamilton. Mr. Hamilton, of course, had been killed by Vice President Aaron Burr. The Vice President had challenged Mr. Hamilton to a duel, and Vice President Burr's shot mortally wounded Alexander, who died the following day. So how about this 4th of July? When you look up at the burst of red, white, and blue colors watching them explode in this night sky, think about those lesser-known heroes. Think about the men and women whose small contributions made a huge impact on the founding of this great nation. Think about another thing. If instead the writer of the James Bond movies, being British, he'd actually been American, we might be watching the latest Hercules Mulligan movie as he walks up to a pretty lady and says, Mulligan, Hercules Mulligan. Just a thought. But happy Independence Day, my good friends. I hope you enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to follow. If you like even more episodes of both podcasts and access to the Deviant Report, consider becoming a subscriber for $1.99 a month for extra episodes of all three podcasts right here at Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Go right on over to Anchor.fm or Spotify and check it out. Please join us on the Facebook group, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend Podcast, where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend, and I'll see you then.